Dear Father, we pray that you may help us understand your word, that it may speak to us, and uh, that we may understand, because you are the author, and uh, that you fill our minds with your knowledge, and our hearts with uh, a real desire to know you better. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, how many of you uh, know Charles Dickens? Oh, okay, a few of you. Okay, that's good. The cultured people in our congregation. Uh, now, <coughs> Charles Dickens, uh, for those of you who didn't do it uh, for your uh, school uh, uh, literature assignment, uh, was this very famous author. And he wrote this book called The Tale of Two Cities. And in that book, it tells of a prisoner who was captured and put into a French prison for many years. And he spent many years in that dungeon. It was a tiny prison cell, a dark prison, and it became a way of life for him. Many years later, he was released from prison, and he went back to his home in England. And there in England, he has a wonderfully big, lovely English mansion. It's got a huge hall, it's got many rooms, and it's got a beautiful garden. And outside, the sun is shining and the birds are singing. But because he's been so used to living in this tiny dungeon for so many years, that in this beautiful mansion, he's built a small dungeon so that he can live there. So here he is, he's living in this beautiful mansion, the birds are singing, and the sun is shining, but instead of enjoying it, he's living in this dungeon, built in this wonderful, beautiful mansion. Now, this story is a very tragic story, it's a very sad story. And I think that actually when you look at it in terms of our lives, it can reflect our life if we do not know the life that we're meant to have in Jesus. Because in Jesus, according to this passage that we just read, God says that we are all meant to live for eternity. That we are all meant to live in heaven, and we are all meant to live with a relationship with God in heaven. Now you might say, Andrew, how do you know that? Well, it's because the Bible actually tells us uh, that's true. And we know that, actually, if you look at this passage up here, I've helped you here, we know that because of three main things. Uh, the first two things are, we know this is true because of God's character. It says there right at the very beginning, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. And then later on, He says in verse 4, okay, verse 4, these little tiny numbers, sorry, verse 5, uh, verse five sorry, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, we know that we are not meant to live in these tiny dungeons of our lives where we live for only 70, 80, 90 years if we are lucky, but we're meant to live for much longer. We're meant to live not just in relationship here, but we're meant to live in a greater relationship with God, and not just here on earth, but in heaven. How do we know that? Because of God's character. Two things it says there, God's mercy and God's power. Now that's very important, because when someone promises you something, you need to look for two things in that person. Is that person able to deliver what they promise? And will the person, will they deliver what they promise? It depends on ability and character. So, uh, let's say uh, somebody, a small child says to you, I will buy you a car. Now, obviously that can't be true, isn't it? Because the child uh, doesn't have the capacity to buy you the car. They don't have the ability to buy you a car. Let's say you, you know someone else, and this person is, is a liar. He always tells lies. And this person says to you, I will buy you a car. This person may be able to buy you a car, but they will not buy you a car because their character is not one of trustworthiness. But here in this passage, 
The Bible, God's Word, says very clearly that we know that we are not meant to live in this limited life because of God's mercy, His character, and His ability, His power. Now, that might not be enough for us, isn't it? We might think, well, yeah, God's a merciful God, God's a powerful God, but how do I know for sure? How do I really, really, really know that God will keep this promise to give me eternal life, heaven, salvation, forgiveness, all these things. And that's why it says there, it goes on to say, it says there, in His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the anchor, the linchpin, it is the rock on which God's promises are built upon. See, God makes these promises. We know He's merciful. We know that He's powerful and He makes a promise. But He will keep it and He's shown us that He will keep it because He has sent His Son Jesus who has died and been raised to life. Now, in the world that we live in, many people uh, make promises, right? So that, you know, you can promise to do all sorts of things. But in the real world out there, unless you sign on the dotted line, you don't really mean it. Okay, you might agree to buy a car. You go to the showroom, you tell the the person, yeah, I'm really interested to buy this Lamborghini, right? Or you go to the, you go to buy your HDB flat, I'm really interested in buying this flat, but until you put your, your name, you sign your name on the dotted line, you've not really shown that you will do it. And many people say that for, for God, the resurrection of Jesus is like God's signature, saying that He will keep His promise to bring eternal life to people, to bring them to heaven, and to save them. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday is so significant and so special and such, such a milestone. Because it is the day that death has died. Okay, that's what the title of the sermon is, right? The day death dies. Because Jesus comes on that day when He rises to life, He defeats death and He promises to defeat death for you and for me. Now think of a day in your life which changes the rest of your life. For some people, it might be their wedding day. Right? Because when you are married, your whole life changes. For some people, it changes for good. For some people, it changes for bad. Right? But your whole life will change. Because you're no longer living for yourself. You're living for someone else. For some other people, it might be your graduation day. Right? But this is the day that God says changes the whole of history and the whole of our lives. Because it is the day that He signs on the dollar line that death will not have the final word. Now, some of us who are not Christian may say, how can we be really sure? You know, I want Jesus to stand here right in front of me or I want God to come and testify to me that this is true. I'm not just going to listen to a piece of paper with writing on it. Now, the problem is that uh, we do not give God orders because we are not God. You know, God is the one who gives people orders. We don't give God orders, right? Okay? Because we are not God. But God has said in His Word, that His Word is actually the testimony to us that it is true. And that's why in verse 7 and 8, right, so 8 to 9, God Himself says uh, through the Apostle Peter, Though you have not seen Him, the Him here is Jesus, you love Jesus. Even though you do not see Jesus now, you believe in Jesus and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, Peter was an apostle who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 
when he says verse 8 and verse 9, he's actually thinking back to the resurrection of Jesus because the words that he mentions here are actually Jesus' words. And he's thinking back to another of the disciples, another one of the apostles called Thomas because Thomas did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He was a skeptic, right? He was an empiricist. He wanted hard evidence. And Thomas, if you see up here in the account in the Bible, in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, this is what happened. Thomas, who was one of the twelve, he was not there. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord Jesus. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Okay, this is not exclamation, okay? He really meant that Jesus was my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. See, Thomas was a skeptic. And he was a very hard skeptic. It wasn't enough for him to say, if I see Jesus' hands, or if I see Jesus' wound, I will believe. He went the step further, right? He says, even if I see his hands, it's not enough. I've got to stuff my finger in there, and I've got to put my fist in his side. Uh, I think that's quite rude, actually, uh, if you think about it. You know, last week, uh, Kim Lam had a heart attack, right? So it's like, Kim, someone tells me that like, Kim Lam has a heart attack, and I'll say, I will not believe Kim Lam has a heart attack unless I put my hand into the side and feel his heart or something. Now, that's a really rude thing to say. And I think basically Thomas is saying that, you know, I will believe that Jesus can, you know, has resurrected from the dead, you know, like pigs will fly. Or I'll walk down Orchard Road naked. That sort of thing, right? He, he doesn't believe Jesus has resurrected from the dead. But then Jesus himself comes to Thomas and he deals with Thomas at his level of skepticism and says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. But then Jesus goes on and he says, because you've seen me and if you believe, right, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We are the people who are in the latter category. We are not Thomas. We... we Jesus is not here anymore. We, can, we cannot all line up and put, poke fingers, our fingers in Jesus' hand or poke our fist in Jesus' side, right? But what Jesus is saying is, believe the eyewitness testimony. Believe the word handed out to you. Believe Thomas. Believe Peter. Because the evidence is good. In the Bible, there are four gospel accounts which speak of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the resurrection was witnessed by more than 12 apostles plus the women. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, it said that more than 500 men and more women and children saw the resurrected Jesus. And therefore, blessed are those who believe, even if they have not seen, because they believe in the testimony of others who have seen. Now, there's a story told of a patient who was dying, and uh, at his deathbed, he asked his doctor, who was a Christian, what happens after I die? Tell me, what, 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 what can I expect after I die? And the doctor who was about to answer, apparently he was an English doctor and he was at the deathbed of this guy's house, he heard his dog scratching at the door because he left his dog outside and the dog had come upstairs and was scratching at the door. And inspired, he said, he said, you see, the, my dog, my dog is scratching at the door 
He hears my voice. He knows I'm in this room, but he doesn't know what's in this room. In the same way, we don't know what happens after death, but we know that Jesus has crossed over from death into life, and he tells us that there is life after death. He knows what's behind that door. And we hear the Master's voice, we hear Jesus' voice, and we trust Him, and we seek to be with Him. And that's exactly what the picture of Easter Sunday is, isn't it? Jesus dies, He rises again, and the promise is, He has conquered death, we believe in Him, we will conquer death too. Now there's a very famous uh, man, obviously he's not famous to us, but his name is John Rogers, and he was the first martyr in England under Queen Mary. And he was burnt at the stake for being a Christian. And apparently the French ambassador, when he, was walk, when he was looking at John Rogers walking to his death to be burnt at the stake, he said, John Rogers walked to his martyrdom like he was going to his wedding. Now that's a really weird thing, right? I mean, I can't imagine going to be burnt at the stake the same way as uh, going to my wedding. I mean, obviously different people have different weddings, right? But uh, we presume he was, a, he was having an enjoyable wedding, right? But the reason why he could, he could look forward uh, in this instance when he was going to die was because he believed in the eyewitness testimony. He believed in God's word that there was life after death. And that's why it says there, uh, next slide, it says there that we have been given birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now the hope that we have in the Bible is not a... Uh, uh, uncertain hope. It's not like, you know, I hope that it rains tomorrow. I hope that I'll pass my exam. Right? I hope that I'll win the lottery or something like that, you know. It is not that sort of hope. It is a living hope because it's based on Jesus who is resurrected from the dead. It is a certain and guaranteed hope because Jesus has overcome death. Now, when Jesus died, before he died, uh, the slide, next slide, right? Before he died, Jesus said some things to people, uh, disciples and other people that he came across with. He says to this woman in John chapter 11, the Samaritan woman, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In John chapter 14, he says to his disciples, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, if you look at Jesus' words in isolation, you sort of think, well, you know, Jesus might be a bit mistaken. Maybe he's overstating his case. Maybe he's like Kim Jong-il in North Korea or something, right? Over, over-realized sense of his glory. But the thing is, when you put together Jesus' words with what happens on Easter Sunday, when he does die, he rises again from the dead, then you see that Jesus' words are true. That whoever lives and believes me will never die because they trust in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, when Jesus went to the cross uh, on, on Good Friday, he didn't become unconscious and then become conscious again three days later. He didn't faint and then, you know, wake up three days later, have a long, you know, restful sleep. Uh, Jesus was crucified by professionals, okay, professional crucifiers. And when they crucified you, uh, you were dead, really dead. It's like, okay, today, if you are caught for drug trafficking in Singapore, if you go to Changi prison and they hang you, you are definitely going to die. Right? They will certify, a doctor will come and certify that you are dead. 
In the same way, Jesus was crucified by people who did this for a living. And when Jesus was crucified, he was checked out by a soldier and he was really dead. And three days later, he comes to life again, witnessed by many people. So, it says there, that if we believe in the reality, the historical reality of what Jesus did, a historical reality as real as the Japanese invading Singapore, the historical reality as real as uh, you know the World Trade Towers falling down, then you will have, it says there, an inheritance, oh, go back again, sorry, go back, I didn't. you will have an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Now, this inheritance is described in a few ways. It says there, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Um, and basically he's saying that this inheritance kept for you in heaven is, is, uh, is going to be really well kept. It's not going to be like uh, your money kept in some banks during the financial crisis which sort of disappears, right? First of all, it says that it will never perish. Okay, so let, let's say I've got money in my wallet. Okay, I'll just take a $5 note. In a, in a hundred years, in a thousand years, this, uh, this $5 note will perish. It will not be in existence anymore. It will, it will turn to dust. Uh, things spoil, right? Imagine you, you know, for some of you ladies, you have very expensive handbags or shoes, okay? They decay over time, right? Fungus or whatever eats up and it's gone. Um, you know, things fade away. You might have an antique car, but you've got to keep polishing it because it loses its luster, its newness. So, basically what, what the Bible is saying is this inheritance that is kept in heaven is an eternal inheritance. Because if things do not perish, if things do not spoil and they don't fade, then they last forever. Now, eternity is a very abstract concept for us, right? I mean, how long is eternity? Because we live in a world where everything is very short and transient. We live in a throwaway society. I mean, you think of how long your iPad will last. It will last until the next one comes out, right? Or, or your phone, or your car, or even a house. And even our relationships, I was talking to this researcher at the Civil Service College, you know, people's relationships are getting shorter and shorter. Our marriages are shorter. Your, your friends, you lose your friends because you, everybody moves everywhere now. People, we are a mobile society. Even parents and children, they're not, they lose touch with one another. But here, God says that our inheritance lasts forever. Forever and ever, eternity. Just think of the longest period you can think of and just extend it till it never ends. But not only that, it's not just a material thing, right? It's, you know, God's not saying, okay, heaven is just a place where there's lots of material things. It's a relationship. See, why does God use the word inheritance? Why doesn't He use the word riches or treasure kept in heaven for you? Why does He use the word inheritance? See, inheritance is a family word. It's not a work word. You know, inheritance is family. So, you know, I, 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 I'm an Ong, my, my father's an Ong and I'm his child. So when he dies, I will inherit things that he gives me, right? He won't give it to the maid. He won't give it to his golfing buddies. Right? He won't give it to his working people, friends, you know? He gives it to family. That's what inheritance means. So what is basically being said here is that through the resurrection of Jesus, if we believe in that, we become part of God's family. And we, we have an inheritance. We, we don't work for this hope uh, eternal life in heaven, a relationship, we, we are given it in Jesus Christ. Now, our response is really simple, right? Our response is, it says up there, is faith. It is through faith that this inheritance is, is kept in heaven for us, that we are shielded by God's power. 
And uh, this faith is just entrusting yourself in what Jesus has done for us when he resurrected himself from the dead. And it says, uh, later on, next slide, okay, that uh, this faith is worth more than gold. This faith is worth more than gold. Now, how can faith be worth more than gold, right? You know, faith is something really abstract. Gold is something, you know, hard metal. Gold is a very valuable commodity. I mean, even in those days, it was very valuable. Today, it's, it's very valuable as well. I mean, if I had a bar of gold at home, I'd say, wow, you know, I'm really rich. I've got this gold bar. Not that I do, right? But, but gold is something which is like the most valuable thing that you can think of. And that's why it's being used here. It's like saying faith is more valuable than the most valuable thing in this world. And why is that? Because faith brings all these benefits of it. Eternal life, uh, relationship with God, an inheritance in heaven. So there was a, a Christian man who was telling a very, very rich man of, 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 uh, of the Christian message. And this very rich man said to the Christian man, he says, you sound as if you have a reserved seat in heaven. Now, you sound as if you've got a reserved seat in heaven. And the Christian man said, yes, I do. And the rich man said, how do I get this reserved seat in heaven? What do I have to do? How much does it cost? And the Christian man said, actually, it is free. Right, that reserved seat in heaven is free because all you have to do is accept the free gift that Jesus has given you when he resurrected from the dead. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to pay for it. It is there because you have faith. But the value of that, of what faith brings you, that's worth more than gold, isn't it? I mean, is eternal life worth less than gold? No, it's, it's, it's worth more than gold. Is forgiveness worth less than gold? Is a relationship with God, is eternity uh, worth less than gold? No, it cannot be, right? It's, all these things are worth more than gold. That's why your faith is worth more than gold. Now, uh, my father-in-law, when he was uh, dying, he was lying on his deathbed in Saramban in Malaysia. When he was, we were in the room with him and he, he uh, told us this Chinese proverb, but you know my Chinese is not very good, so I only caught the first two words, right? He said, no, Tian Xia, something, something, something. Right? <laughs> so, so I had to ask my wife what exactly he said. And he said that, you know, basically it says that death brings all things to an end. Right? So it's like, you know, under heaven, right, there is no banquet which lasts forever, you know, because death brings an end to all things. And then we were saying, no, actually, that's not true, because actually, uh, death is not the end. We are all eternal creatures, right? And the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually shows us that we are eternal creatures. But where will our destination be in eternity? Will we spend the rest of eternity in heaven? with the inheritance that God has brought for us, or we spend the rest of eternity in God's anger and judgment where we are condemned instead of saved. I want to end this sermon with the words of Jesus one more time. And I wanted to challenge you just as he challenged the Samaritan woman. He said to the Samaritan woman, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, if the Samaritan woman uh, had uh, reason to believe Jesus, then we have even more reason to believe Jesus because we have the benefit of being on this side of the cross. And we see that Jesus was able to keep his word, that he did die and he did rise again, and that through his resurrection, he does promise that because I live, 
you will live also. These are not the empty words of a liar, right? Uh, these are not the mad boast of a lunatic. Uh, these are the true words of God. And because they are the true words of God, we should believe them. God is merciful and God is powerful. And He does want to bring us into a living hope, an inheritance in heaven which will never perish and never spoil and never fade. He does want to save our souls. And it's a free gift. All you have to do is to look back into history and see that Jesus died and He did rise again and He did so, so that you can have the promises of God. Okay, let's go to God in prayer and ask Him to help us. Dear Father, as we, we hear Your Word, we truly want to ask You to help us to believe if we do not believe, to help us to see that the experience of Peter and of Thomas and of countless others are real and that they are not a legend or myth, but that truly Jesus died and Jesus rose again and that the meaning of his death is so that our souls may be saved, that we're given a living hope, that we're given an eternal inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, that we're given a wonderful relationship as your family. And we pray that the day, today, Easter Sunday, we will remember the day when Jesus put death to death and that we have the promise of eternal life on the other side of death. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.